You're listening to Unshaken, a podcast of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host, and I am glad you're joining me again today for Episode 3 in Season 4. Hey, I know I always say this every episode, but hey, don't forget to head over to your favorite podcast directory, subscribe, leave us a review, and don't forget you can even email me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com if you want to suggest any topics or share a way that a particular episode has blessed you. I would love to hear from you. Well, hey friends, I just wanted to tell you about something really exciting that we're doing over here at Unshaken. We're going to start a book club. Isn't that fabulous? During season three, one particular book kept being mentioned in the interviews I did. It was mentioned actually four times. I thought it would be great to read this book and talk about it more, so I invited my friend Erica Simpson to join me each week during the months of June and July in a little mini bonus episode series. It's going to drop the same as our regular episodes. I hope you'll join us. We're going to be discussing the book, How to Be Free from Bitterness by Jim Wilson. You can order this on your favorite online bookstore, but you also can find a free PDF of it if you Google it. Um, And then you can just print it out and read it. Um, You're just going to read one chapter a week and then tune in and we're going to talk about how this book has impacted each one of us. And I think how it's going to be impacting you too. These episodes are going to just drop right along with our regularly scheduled Unshaken episodes each Thursday. I hope you'll join us. Hey, have you ever been struggling with something kind of heavy in your life? Maybe it was sin that you felt you could just never overcome. Each one of us has sin that is harder to overcome than others. The Bible tells us, first off, that we're all sinful which is 100% true, but sometimes we have one sin that kind of takes over. Maybe it's unforgiveness towards someone in your life. Maybe it's not respecting your authority, or like your boss or your husband. Maybe it's playing with soft porn, with what you watch or what you read. Or maybe it's a consistent habit of lying or the ease with which you gossip. All of these things, or sins, can just overtake us if we're not aware of them and if we're not working on them, or if we ignore them. We can't fight the sin on our own, but we can fight it with Christ, and we can slay it and have victory. Today we're going to listen to a talk given at the 2016 Regarding Him Women's Conference. It was a breakout session that year, and we had that theme, Daughters of the King, so every one of our sessions had like a medieval title. This session's title was The Dragon Slayer, and it was focused on the concept that we can fight our sin and we can win. Let's jump in and listen as Erica Simpson walks us through how we can fight and win and be victorious. Erica Simpson, and you are at the Dragon Slayer. (laughs) It's a very dramatic name for a talk, but I think it may be very fitting. Um, Would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of the women that you've brought here, each one, and we pray that your spirit would be with us. Be strong in our midst. May our hearts be open to your word wherever we are in our understanding of who you are, and I pray that you would Help us to take these things home and apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have something here that I want to show you or talk about. I really can't show you what's in it, but have this black box here. And I'm not going to open it because what's in here is something I want for you to describe to me. When I say the word sin, what are some of the first thoughts that come to your mind? If I say I have sin in here, what do you think it would look like? Dirty, evil, selfishness. Say again. Human. Okay. Anybody else want to shout out? Grief. Okay, great. Thank you. So, we're not going to look at this. We're going to leave it right here, this nice black box. Um, 
So thank you very much. Those are some of our first impressions when we think about sin, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. But you have come to a talk about sin. And in Scripture, I did an online Bible search and counted 447 times that sin is mentioned in the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about sin. Strangely, though, it's not a word we really hear much in our culture today. I I did a quick Google search. There's a um, graphic that came up. It was like a plot graph. And in the 1800s, it was like the top of the millennium force. And then in 2010, it bottomed out. So just to give you a picture, that's not really a word that is used commonly. I have no idea where they got that information from, but I would tend to agree with it, that maybe it was a word of old that was used more than it is today. Well, we are going to up the stats today. (laughs) So uh, what happened? Did sin go away? Did it not not a problem anymore. Maybe they were puritanical in the 1800s, but today we're much more enlightened and we've evolved socially, so that's not part of our vernacular anymore. Um, Or is it maybe that we just don't want to talk about it and we don't want to know much about it? It got me thinking, what might a plot graph look like of the usage of the word hell or Satan? Those are not words that we talk about much in our society today. But my purpose today is to talk about the nature of the human heart, the battle that it faces, and how Scripture says that we can overcome a dragon. So let's start with what sin is. The Psalms teach that we were conceived in sin. That does not mean that the act of conception between a husband and wife is sinful, but rather that because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and disobeyed God, sin became inherent in our DNA. We now receive in our flesh sin from our first parents. And you might say, well, how is that so? Have you ever held a precious baby? They look so innocent. I cannot believe that we could call a baby sinful. And I agree, holding a baby, there's nothing like it. I love to hold a baby. And yet... When you start to see that little baby move and that little baby exercises its will and you say don't touch the remote control and it goes right for the remote control, you can see the sin nature at work. And then wait till you get to the terrible twos, right? That's a whole other situation. But um, that baby is not perfect. It just has not yet exercised its desire for sin. So we in the human body receive a package of sin. Now, think back to this briefcase for a minute. We could easily rattle off our first impressions of what sin was. This black box kind of lets us objectify it. It's something out there. It's not really tied to us. There's no shame or guilt. So we could plainly talk about it unattached. But the thing is, there is no sin in here. (laughs) No big surprise, no sin in the box. But guess what? I didn't lie. There is sin in here. There is sin in me, and there is sin in you. It dwells and lives in our bodies. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was perhaps one of the greatest Christians um, to walk on earth. But even Paul, in chapter 7, is wrestling with sin. In verse 23, he says, But I see in my members another war uh, raging against the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. Do you identify with either of these? Maybe being held captive to a sin... Or maybe you have a desire to do what is right, but you can't do it. You can't carry out the good. Well, we recognize that there is evil in the world. And we might even recognize that we have sin. Often people will say, well, I make mistakes and nobody's perfect. And kind of what Melissa was saying earlier, we assume that that's okay, that God will really overlook that. But it's much graver than that. Realizing that we have sin in us is a little bit like the difference in attending a conference on HIV. You hear the talks, 
you're gaining knowledge, you understand, versus going to your doctor and being diagnosed HIV positive. That's a very different understanding of the word sin. And so we are not conference attenders at a conference about sin. We ourselves are infected with a terminal disease. And it is grave. And wouldn't that be sad if I just ended the talk right here? That would be horrible. But I am not going to end the talk right here. Don't worry. So we need to grasp, though, that God is great and holy and that our little sin or our mistakes are not the mistakes that we think they are. Because of holiness, which we do not understand, we cannot come into his presence apart from a hope and a cure. And what is this hope? Well, that's the gospel, and that is the good news that is so good to those who will receive it, that God sent a cure to this terminal illness, which was Jesus Christ. And he is the one who will deliver us from this body of death. He had no sin. He came and lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross and received our sins in his death so that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. We will be set free, and that is the path of salvation. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, who gives us eyes to see this truth and ears to hear the word of God, we can recognize that we need a Savior. When we were born new in Christ, then we turn from our former ways and we begin to follow Jesus. Now, I want to introduce you to a book, which is in the bookstore, and it's called The Enemy Within. Our church did this for Sunday school many years ago, and it was so helpful to me, and um, I learned a lot from it. I would highly recommend it to you. It's, um, it's just really good imagery for how we fight our sin. I just want to talk one quote from this. Um, it's written by Chris Lungard, and he says, he kind of gives an analogy throughout the book that believers in Christ are the only people who actually see the law of sin at work in them. Unbelievers, people who do not believe in Christ, can't feel it because they're rushing down this raging river and kind of on their inner tubes floating along, going with the current, and not recognizing that this current is heading straight off of a cliff. They don't know that, and so they're just kind of floating along. However, to the Christian, the one who realizes, oh, I have sin and I need a Savior, that person is actually putting their feet down in the stream. The water is raging still beyond them. They turn from their sin and begin to climb upstream. And so that's what we do when we become a Christian. We start to go upstream. We're fighting for the crown of eternal life. And we are escaping the fire of eternal hell. Because at the end of that cliff, the Bible does talk about a place called hell that is the end of this life. Unless we accept this great salvation which comes through Jesus Christ. Now, while we walk upstream, we face an enemy. A three-headed dragon is what we're going to call it today. And this is in your notes if you are taking notes. There are three parts of our enemy. The first head is Satan. Okay, there, we just upped that stat right there. Um, The second head is the world, and the third head is our very own flesh. So let's begin with Satan. Satan was once heaven's most beautiful creature next to God, believe it or not. And his name was Lucifer. Um, Lucifer began to believe that he was more worthy to be praised and worshipped than God himself. And holy, almighty God does not tolerate that. And so it's kind of an insurrection in heaven. And God cast Satan, it says, like a peal of lightning down from heaven with a third of the angels who were sympathizers of his. And so now we call him Satan, and those angels that were cast to earth are called demons. Um, Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, which Satan was a part of, he was tempting and prodding, God gave a curse, and he said to Satan, I'm sending a promised one, and he, you will bruise that promised one's heel. You're going to hurt him, but he will crush your head, it says in Genesis 3. 
So Satan knew that was coming, and you better believe that from that moment on, he was looking for that promised one. We see all through Scripture, he is scouring the earth for many reasons, but he was watching and waiting for when that promised one would come. Jesus came to earth as a man. He lived, died on the cross, rose again, and Satan was not victorious over the promised one. In Revelation 12, it says Satan was furious when he failed to kill the Messiah, and that he went off to make war with those who will keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So if we are Christian, that's us. So Satan went off to make war with the Christ followers. Revelation also says that the devil came down in great wrath, that he knows his time is short. He is called the deceiver of the world, He is the destroyer, and the Bible calls him a dragon. So Satan has made a long and intense study of humanity. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we are prone to sin, and it's different for all of us. Um, But he has made a custom-crafting temptation. He taunts and tempts and accuses. So he speaks fluently the language of lies. He keeps no covenant. He makes no promise. And so this is our great enemy, and he is great. But we do not need to be afraid. I know that can strike up fear in a heart. But listen to what I have to tell you. Do not be afraid. For we know one that is greater than Satan. And his name is Jesus Christ, as I mentioned. He overcame Satan when he overcame the grave. Jesus rose from the dead, and he alone has power over sin and death. He alone has the power to slay the dragon. But we stand now in the king's armor, and we stand firm against this enemy. So that is Satan, and he is from where our enemy really comes from. But the second part is the world. And so I want you to think back to that raging water. And the water is the world. That is the thing that supports all of the ways of man. So First um, John 2.6 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So these three things, think back to that water, are the rushing waters that are flowing to the falls. It supports people. It carries them along in gratifying their flesh. And it woos them over the falls, saying, it's okay, come on. So maybe this comes through music, movies, culture, friends, things that tell us you're okay right where you are. And finally, we have the third head of our enemy, which is our very own flesh. And we cannot control, I'm going to think about these three heads of our enemy. We cannot control Satan. Our defense against him is to stand firm on the promises of Scripture. So that's what we do with Satan. We cannot really change the world. We can impact our culture where we live, and we can pluck people out of the water by sharing the truth of the gospel with them. But the world will be the world. What we can do and what we can affect change in is our own flesh, in our own heart. So in order to grow and become holy, We have to put to death the misdeeds of our body, our flesh. So what are the misdeeds of the body? And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our talk is talking about how do you fight sin and um, what does it look like in our lives. This is the second book I want to recommend to you. It's also in the bookstore called Killjoys, and it was written by Desiring God Ministries, which John Piper is a part of. He wrote one chapter in here. And it's just a look at the seven deadly sins, which you won't find grouped in Scripture as the seven deadly sins, but through the history and church um, of the church, these root sins were kind of seen as the root of the things that people struggle with. And they are pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. And I just want to go through each one of these and ask you to be thinking about your own life and do these hit home with you at all. Pride, first of all, is self-preoccupation, either for good or for the bad. At the heart, it is a worship issue, a worship of self rather than of God. 
Um, just some questions to ask. Do your thoughts revolve around yourself? Do you want to receive praise and esteem from man rather than give praise to God? I don't know if this is true of human nature, but I, I bet we could all raise our hand that pride is just really the heart issue of so many of our sins. Um, the second is envy. Envy um, can appreciate a person's success, but only to the point that it does not overshadow them. Envy is often fractures our very closest relationships, causing um, fellowship difficult. And it's usually among your peers, your friends that you're raising kids with, or people you graduated college with. Nobody's envious of their grandma, right? It's like, it's this level, okay? So envy, do you feel envy when another woman thrives? Do you compare yourself to others, happy if you win, and troubled if you don't look as favorably? Anger is this third one we're going to touch on. Is expressed in different ways in different people. Anger is a reactionary sin. Something upsets and so out comes anger. And anger has a lot of destructive power. The root of murder is often anger. Violence. Things like that often come from this reactionary sin of anger, um, sinful anger. Do you have a short fuse when things don't go according to your plan? What spills out of your mouth and heart when you're disrupted and upset? Sloth is the fourth one, and this is more than simple laziness. This is really a control to preserve comfort in life. You want to minimize risk, minimize exertion, minimize getting involved in people's stuff because you have a lazy heart, a lazy love, and that is what sloth is. Here's a couple questions. Um, do you find ways to stay out of everyone's business? Now, there's, I'm not talking about meddling, but when people need real help, are you like, no, nope, I don't have time for that? Or do you want to maintain a certain standard of living, and that is your goal in life, and not want to get your hands dirty or messed up with other people? Okay, greed is the weed, this is a quote from the book, is the weed that happily grows to fill every inch that we will give it. Greed dishonors God by saying that we don't think he's trustworthy to provide. He's not able to provide today, and he will not provide tomorrow, so I'm going to hoard, I'm going to acquire, I'm going to get as much as I can when I can. So this at the heart is a fear that God is not enough. Do you feel like you need to win gain, possess, hold tightly to things, um, look out for you and yours? Do you lack trust that God will provide? Do you find it difficult to wait on his timing? Gluttony is interesting. We normally think of gluttony as excessive overeating, but it can be that. It can also be meticulous avoidance. So maybe um, finding a sense of righteousness in what you will and will not eat or where you will and will not shop, that's also gluttony because it makes food a god. So do your food choices define you? Um, and are you able to say no to your appetites? Lust. Lust is where sexual desire dishonors another person. Sexual desire in marriage is good, and God designed it for that. But when it is used outside of marriage for another person who is not your spouse, and it is not in a holy manner, then that is lust. It's selfishly using another person for your gain. So, do you find yourself being lured by books and movies that demean or pervert sex? Do you honor your spouse in your marital relationship if you're married? Do you esteem him above other men? Do you pursue holiness in your life? This would be a question to ask about lust. So one study I read about sins common to women found some interesting results. This was an anonymous study among women who claimed that they were Christians, and they had no reason to doubt that in the study. Um, they were asked to rank and order the, question, the sins that so easily plagued them. And what they found was that no more than 36% claimed the sins of arrogance, excessive arguing, selfishness, anger, jealousy, and lust. All of those were very minimal, 8%, 16%. Out of Christian women, that could have 100% answered that question. The sins that they did, did identify with, though, were the sins of disorganization and inefficiency. So, I don't know, but these really are not sins 
found in Scripture. I've never come across the sin of disorganization. And maybe there's some root sins of sloth and things in there, but um, these are the sins that women, Christian women today, identified in their life. So Barna, the research group, had concluded that perhaps women were reluctant to respond honestly, even though it was an anonymous survey, um, because they might experience shame and guilt by giving a more honest response. A second survey that I read highlighted that a little bit more. They ranked the seven deadly sins in women, and this was another survey, that found that for women, pride was the first that we struggle with, envy second, lust, oh, sorry, anger, lust, gluttony, greed, and sloth. So what questions can we ask from these studies? First of all, are women honest with themselves? Are we even honest with ourselves? We see our first struggle with sin is pride. And pride might keep us the most blind to our own vices. The second question is, can women be honest with one another? Um, Or are we so pridefully judging one another that any woman who speaks up knows she's going to get hit? (laughs) And she's not going to open that black box of her life because gossip or exclusion, or shunning, and things like that might be the things she gets if she talks about her real sins. Well, I would like you to be honest with yourself today. I would like you to search your own heart as I search mine in preparing for this talk. Do any of these root sins characterize what is in your black box, your heart? Do any of these describe your wanton cravings? It might be easier for me to speak about and for you to hear about sins like disorganization and inefficiency and how in five steps you can get your laundry done in two days. That seems really long to you guys, but to me that would be amazing (laughs) because I have ten kids and that would not be good. Um, Anyways, but I am asking us today to be honest with yourself and ask God to reveal the sins of your heart. So all of you received a handout. And you can take a look at that right now. It is a um, very insightful assessment tool written by Tim Challies. He's a blogger and, I believe, an, a pastor um, who has written extensively about fighting sin. And I have just been indebted to him. If you don't have one, would you please raise your hand? And I think, Lisa, thank you so much for helping hand those out. Um, this is the first part of a three-part assessment that he offers online. And I give you the websites. If you want to go further, you can print it out yourself. But it's a very helpful tool in thinking through your own heart and where you are in relation to besetting sins. What are the streams and characterize your life? And if you know what that is already, I also think it's helpful to help ask probing questions because the goal is not just to assess our sin, but to fight our sin and to be rid of that sin. So I mentioned that. Now, I'm going to talk about real life. And I... um, In a way, when I was asked to give this talk, I thought, okay, God had been preparing some things in my own life, and I thought, okay, I know I'm supposed to say yes to this. And then once I said yes, I started to get a little panicked, because this is a talk about sin, right? And I get to get up here and tell you about my sin, (laughs) and that is not something I was looking forward to at all. But as I prepared, and the Lord said to my heart, I really do want to help women and my own self be free of the sins that plague us. And so I'm going to be real. And I loved Melissa's analogy about clean hands because I'm going to get my hands dirty. This is what I was thinking even um, before I heard her talk about that, which I think the Lord is so awesome to how he pulls things together. Um, But I'm going to talk about my own sin because what good is it for me to get up here and tell you all about sin but never share my own life with you? And so you will probably think less of me, and I guess in the end that is good, because I'd rather you think more of God and less of me, because he is a great God who can save a woman with a sinful heart. Um, As I mentioned, I have ten children. I never thought I would have ten children. I really thought I would have no children. (laughs) So God is pretty awesome. Um, I am, I have been married for 19 years to their father and I love him deeply. Um, God has given me the life I never dreamed of. I did not dream that this would be my life. But I am so thankful that he has made me to love it. He has changed my heart and given me a heart to love something I never felt called to. 
So motherhood and marriage have been two of the most transforming tools in my own life. I know that you have tools that God is using in your life. And I hope that while your story will not be the same, that you can identify with some of the things that I'm going to share today. Um, I guess growing up, I had a godly mom who received the Lord when I was four months old. And she always raised us to know Christ. I went to a Christian school as a young girl. I transferred into a public school. And I had, probably when I was five years old, my brother told me I could go to heaven and I could know Jesus. And I said, I want to do that. So I prayed and received Christ. And then I lived most of my growing up years, I think I was a pretty good girl, but once I got to high school, I lived with one world, one foot in the world, and one foot in my church. And so I was a hypocrite. And I thought I had a lot of people fooled. I look back now and I'm like, I'm sure people (laughs) were not so fooled. Um, But I had served two masters. And we all know that that doesn't work for long. One thing that I had a reputation for in high school, and not as you might be thinking, but some people said I had a reputation for being a one-date wonder. And what I mean by that is that guys would ask me out, and I would say yes. I didn't really care, but I was like, oh, something new, something fun, sure. But the second and third dates got complicated, and so I'm like, eh. I also was a bit of a feminist, and I had my own ideas and what I wanted to do, and any relationship would have dragged that down. So I was not interested in getting into a relationship unless I met the right guy. So I was happy to have my freedom. I was happy to be pursued. And that is what I developed an appetite for in high school. I started to like the chase. I liked when someone was interested in me, and it was a new guy, and it was something fun. And so that was where my heart started to be fed and was something that I grew to have an appetite for. I went away to college my freshman year, and I lived rebelliously toward God. I came home that summer, and I was repentant, and the Lord was changing my heart. But I really was not there yet. As I transferred to a new school, my mom said, why don't you find a Christian group on college? And I said, nope, I'm just going to find my own way. I'm going to do it my way. And God is so good. When I got to my dorm room, my roommate was a Christian. The girls across the hall were a Christian and the girls next door. And everywhere I went, they would not stop asking me to go to stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll go. (laughs) So I did, and I felt like a fish out of water. I did not feel like a godly young woman because I was not. But I was repenting and turning, and God is so gracious, and he was faithful to keep calling me. So I also met my husband at college, and he had a joke with friends. It wasn't really a joke. I really think they meant it. But they would say in this group of friends that if they were dating someone seriously, that they were pursuing them to the altar. And so Kevin was pursuing me to the altar, and I was a wild one. I kind of um, was hard to pin down. I tested him to see how legitimate he was, and um, he was persistent and steadfast and I needed that. We were married at 21 years old, and by the time I was 26, I had three little boys. My days were spent at home while Kevin was building his career as an accountant, and I was home by myself a lot. He worked a lot of hours. And when things were good, they were so good. But when they were not good, they were not good. And they were very dark days for me. I struggled with depression And I did not know how to find fulfillment in my life as a mom and a wife. I felt like, this is it. This is what I got married for. And so I would struggle against my own flesh. And during those times, I would grow rebellious. And those former cravings of my heart would crop up. I would want to feel my worth. You know, nobody gives you a paycheck. And nobody gives you um, what you used to receive in the world when you're home in your sweatpants looking at Barney. So, (laughs) the sins of my youth did not simply die because I made marriage vows. I knew that I was going to have to do battle with them. But this sin manifested itself in my life in two ways. First of all, in my marriage, I grew very good at giving the silent treatment when we would get in a disagreement. And I would let it go on for days. And I was cruel. 
And he, my goal in that, I, know, I now know, was for him to pursue me, for him to come back and, say, and reaffirm love and care for me. So that desire for the chase and the pursuit came through in my marriage by being passive-aggressive and holding on to hurts. Then it also manifested itself in a wandering heart. I began to see, look at my life and say, what is this that I have? And I started to look at other places, that the grass was greener somewhere else. I am thankful that I never acted or did or said anything that betrayed my marriage, but I knew that my heart was divided and I was lured by the chase. I have talked to my husband about this and shared this through the years, and so even as I share it with you, it's something that we've talked about. Psalm 106 talks about the sin of idolatry, not adultery. It's closely related, but idolatry is idol-making or worshiping something other than God. And God says, worship me and serve me only. Psalm 106 says of his people that soon they forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. They had a wanton craving in the wilderness. They exchanged the glory of God for an image that chews grass, right? They made a calf. They made a cow out of gold. And that's pretty much what we do when we make an idol. We, we um, exchange the glory of God for an image. They forgot God. They forgot their Savior. And they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. So I had a wanton craving in the wilderness Mothering my little ones, I felt the isolation and the monotony of my days. And I did not recognize, though, that I was actually in a lush and fertile season of my life. We were building our family, and instead of appreciating that, I forgot God, and I would despise the pleasant land. I would go through cycles of gaining and yielding ground to the sin, but I soon began to realize that the struggle came up when I would grow dissatisfied, I would then despair, go to depression, and then this craving for something different or easier or more pleasant would fill that need. I knew, though, that I needed to conquer my flesh. I needed to recount all of the great things that God had done in my life, and I needed to stand in faith on the promises that God gave me these good gifts and they came from him. I needed to learn. Like Titus 2 says, women can learn to love their husbands and their children. It did not come naturally to me. I had to learn that. And so that is what I began to do. No matter where your struggle lies, I'm going to go through some weapons to fight sin. And these are the weapons that I began to learn. And this for me was, why am I talking about something that might have happened 10, 15 years ago? Because this was where I learned how to fight sin. And killing this sin was like a kingpin or a taproot for other sins in my life. And so these are very valuable things that you can take home and apply to your lives as well. And I'm still applying them. Because guess what? This isn't the only sin I have. And there's more. And I'm always fighting sin. So that's the journey of the Christian. Um, But I have five things. On your notes it says six, but it's five. So the first is take your thoughts prisoner. Take your thoughts captive and keep them under lock and key. Guard your mind and it will guard your heart. You cannot trust your heart. It is deceitfully wicked above all else. Do not, though the world's rushing waters will tell you, follow your heart. Do not follow your heart. Replace your pain, your complaints, your longings with gratitude. I learned how to start giving thanks instead of complaining. And it's a discipline I still have to practice. So for me, um, taking my thoughts captive started with a prayer. And I would just say, Lord, I am going to just be totally honest with my sin. And I would say out loud the struggle that I was having. And I knew I could not conquer it. But I knew that he could, and so I would say it out loud, and just hearing it was piercing to me. I realized, wow, my heart is so wicked, but God, you are bigger than my heart, and so I'm asking you to change it. In order to see the ugliness of sin, play it out in your life. What if you follow your flesh? What if you follow your heart? What's that going to look like in five years, ten years, 
30 years, when you go to meet your maker. And then think about what if you're victorious in this sin? What will your marriage, what will your life look like in 10 years, in 30 years, at your deathbed? What will your children think of you if you do this or if you do this? That is helpful in in curbing sin. A second weapon is to dress yourself in the armor of God. Ephesians 6 is um, something we're not going to turn to, but every Christian woman should know Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. Um, I want to draw out two things from this passage. First of all, the armor is mostly defensive. We have a shield and a helmet and a, um, a breastplate. But our one offensive tool is the word of God. And Julie Morgan is giving one talk on the word. And if you're not making it to that talk, it will be online. And I'm sure all of these will be exceptional, but um, they'll all be uploaded. And so listen and, and understand how you can apply the word to your life. But Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert... Satan came to him, and three times he offered him the great temptations of the world. And Jesus answered, it is written. And that is how our Savior deflected the enemy, and that is how we can deflect the enemy. It is written. But if you don't know the word of God, then you don't have a very sharp sword to be able to wield against the enemy. So sharpen your sword. Know God's word. Read it through. Read it through again and read it through again. Um, Memorize it, sing it, go to Bible studies, learn it, and use it against your enemy. Also, it will encourage you. Then, um, flee temptation. Once, you know, it goes through the whole armor of God, and at the end it says, "When When you are dressed, then stand firm. And one thing our hearts want to do is when we think of Satan, we want to run. We want to flee. But when we think of temptation, we think we need to stand strong against it. And I am saying that's flipped. We need to stand firm against the enemy on the word of God. And we need to flee temptation, which leads me to the third weapon. Melissa mentioned 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Do you understand that whatever is seizing you is common to man? It is not unique. You are not alone. You are not the only person that has ever struggled with that sin. So recognizing that is very freeing in itself. But God is faithful, and he will provide a way out from under it. But it says, and God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape, is one of the versions said. So, The third weapon is to look for the way of escape. Look for it and take it. It is your provision from God when you are tempted. Remember, temptation comes from Satan, and he is seeking to devour us. It is not sinful to be tempted. It is sinful to follow the temptation. So flee the temptation and be free from that. Um, The fourth is confession. See, sin thrives in secrecy. And darkness, it it thrives in shame. This little black box that's locked up and nobody will ever know what's in here. But I'm telling you that you need to open up your box and you need to air it out. Now, do you need to post it on Facebook? No. (laughs) But you should find a trusted Christian sister, most likely someone who is more mature in their faith, someone you respect, Someone who loves you and will tell you the truth of the word, not what your ears want to hear. So find someone that you might be able to confess your sin to and ask them to pray for you. I confessed the sin of my heart to one person, one person that I knew loved me and would pray for my marriage. And just telling her got it out of my heart and into the air. It really did begin to shrivel and shrink when I exposed it to the truth of God's word. This takes humility. I am talking about a kind of humility that is willing to be humiliated. It's willing to be thought less of, willing to take yourself off of your pedestal and say, this is me, in all my glory, I'm a sinner, and I need a savior. And when you do that, it puts us right where we need to be, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves us. 
And finally, and all of the way through, is prayer and fasting. God instructs his people in Isaiah 58 how they should fast and pray. I was struggling with a sin just a couple of years ago, and it was a weekly recurrence. I was having just a hard heart towards someone. I could not get rid of it, and I hated it, and I wanted to be free of it. And we did Isaiah 58 in Bible study. And I realized this is a tool God has given us to break strongholds, prayer and fasting. And it says, God says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke or chain. We need to pray and we might need to fast. We do need to fast in order to conquer sins in our lives. Prayer and meditation and fasting are weapons specifically designed to ruin the flesh. Our job is to kill the flesh, to mortify it. And if we have not struggled against our flesh, then how can we expect to overcome it? Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Have we wrestled to be free of our sin? Have we wrestled even 15 minutes to be free of our sin? Have we wrestled hours? Have we shed blood? I know I haven't, but I know that when I have wrestled my sin in prayer and fasting, God has given me more victory than I ever experienced before that. Um, So these are some of the weapons of our warfare. Remember to do your assessment this week. I would encourage you to sit down today, tomorrow, by next Saturday, and go through your own heart, seeing where you need to do battle with sin, and then do battle with it. If we claim to be daughters of the King, then we should not look like the world. We are called to be set apart. We are being made holy. And we are to become, as we are called in Revelation, a royal priesthood. The daughters of the king are royalty, and we are called a royal priesthood. And so on earth, this life is our training ground for what we will be in heaven someday. So do battle with your sin. Be salt and light in this dark world. Well, I talk to a lot of women who feel like I used to feel. I would feel condemned. I felt like I was a horrible sinner. And how could I show my face? Or how could I talk? And I hear a lot of women say things like that. Do you think that's true? Did God save you to cripple you? Or did he save you to set you free? And I want to challenge you. One more thing that Satan does is he's an accuser. And he wants to tell you that you're no good. And all your old sins are all you amount to. And don't try to talk about Christ. Because you don't have a place. But guess what? We do not listen to the accuser. We listen to our intercessor. Our brother Jesus stands at the the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. He prays for us, and he calls us to live holy, holy lives, which he died for so that we could be set free. Jesus Christ, in John 3, 17 through 18, did not come into the world to condemn the world. Guess what? The world was already condemned because of its own sin. But Jesus came to set the prisoners free. And when we obey his word, when we implement the things that he has given us to weaken our flesh, then we can follow in his ways. To conclude, my flesh craved the pursuit. If I had to boil that down to some root sins, I would certainly call it pride, maybe lust, Maybe selfishness, well, that wasn't one of them, but um, pride, lots of pride. Um, This, as I said, was a taproot to other sins in my life. When I did battle with this sin, I saw other things begin to fall. And then I also learned how to apply these weapons to my other sins. And I have not arrived, and I'm not um, above reproach. As I said, I'm still a sinner still slugging through it all, but we know God's word and we know the tools we have for him. I am always learning in greater measure to rely on the one who pursued me rightly and that my cravings 
and your cravings, wanton cravings in our wilderness, always need to be reflected and directed to God because he is the only one who will satisfy our every longing. Even your very best relationships will not fill your every longing, but God alone can. And he is filling that vacant hole so that we should not satisfy ourselves with the trappings of this world, but instead do the work that we need to do to topple down the idols of our heart so that we can draw near to the one who satisfies our every longing. That was sure a good talk for me to listen to. I am 100% sure that every woman listening right now has some specific sin that you thought of as you listened to Erica talk, and that sin plagues you. It's something you really want to overcome, but you struggle and you try, and maybe you don't see very much victory or victory at all. I love the application steps that Erica gave us. I wrote them all down in my journal. She said, take your thoughts prisoner. I loved that. Instead of just take your thoughts captive, take them prisoner and don't let them out. You cannot trust your heart. What another really good reminder. We need to trust God's word. Stand in the armor of God from Ephesians 6. Stand on the word of God and flee temptation when it comes and confess what you're struggling to somebody else because she said sin thrives in darkness. And then finally, she encouraged us to pray and fast, as it says in Isaiah 58. These are such good application things that you and I can go and do today. So which one are you going to start on? I know for me, I always need to take my thoughts prisoner. And I need to always be looking back at the truth of God's word when I am drawn to a besetting or a habitual sin. Hey, let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this talk today. Thank you for the practicality of the steps Erica gave us of how we can fight sin. Thank you that we can have victory over sin through your son Jesus and his death on the cross. I pray for each woman who is listening to this podcast right now, no matter when or where she is listening. Give them strength and help them to overcome the sins they're struggling with. I am so thankful that you gave us victory and we can trust in your help and direction as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Remember that when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.